I was lucky enough a few different times in Africa to see lions in the wild. Um, uh, I have a memory on the Serengeti um, of these rocky outcrops. And uh, sometimes you'll see lions, a pride of lions, sitting on top of them. It's just like in the Lion King movie, only it's real. And they obviously got it from the real life. Um, But this other time, I was in Rwanda, and I was on safari in this park. And uh, we came around a corner, and there's a fresh kill on the ground. I think it was a wildebeest. And, and the driver, the driver starts looking around for, for what, is, what has killed this wildebeest. And, uh, and he's driving the car very slowly, and all of a sudden, he stops. And he says, look out to the right. And there in the tree, not 10 feet from the car, are three lions in a tree, sort of hanging off the branches. You're sitting there looking out the window. It's like from, from me to the windows here. There's three massive lions. And they're just having a big rest because they're all full of wildebeest. And, uh, and they barely even looked at us. And I actually saw a video yesterday where that happened. And then the lion just jumped into the safari car. <laughs> that has never happened to me before. Um, I was glad we were in the car that day. You know, I felt really safe. Now that I've seen the video, perhaps I wasn't. But um, I was glad I was in the car that day because literally the year before, I'd been in the same safari park at exactly the same place. And, um, and our car blew a tire. And, uh, and we got out, the driver, and it was just the driver and me, and uh, we got out to fix the tire, and he found that there was no spare tire in this car. <laughs> and we had to just wait there until another car came along, and, uh, and I got a lift, and I don't know what he did. Maybe he got eaten by lions too. <laughs> um, the car was gone. Maybe the lions drove it off. There is something majestic about lions, and, um, and there's something a little bit terrifying about them too, if I'm honest with myself, but maybe that's part of the appeal. And, uh, and in a similar way, in our psalm today, God is described as majestic. And uh, when we see God up close, like I saw those lions up close, um, there is something about God in his majesty that is this mixture of magnificence and terror and reassurance, and it's all mixed into this image of the majestic God. And that's what we're going to explore as we open uh, God's word today. So why don't we pray that God would speak to us uh, from Psalm 8. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Will you teach us today about your majesty, your glory, and and help us to see you for who you are, the king exalted above all things. But will you also show us the softer side of your majesty, your great love for us in Jesus Christ, and the dignity you bestow upon us in him. Teach us about this today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series from the Psalms. It's all the S sounds. Um, We've been talking about making the Psalms part of the soundtrack of our life. And that is listening to the Psalms and kind of getting them under our skin, um, letting them teach us and letting them shape us and shape our prayers. And uh, just like the Psalms have been doing for God's people for thousands of years, And today's psalm, it begins by lifting our gaze to behold the majesty of God. Um, So verse 1 and 2, majesty. Uh, Listen to verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Uh, When we think of the word majesty, we often think about um, royalty. And we associate it with royalty. For example, if you were to meet the Queen of England, you would call her your majesty. Um, But did you know that's actually a very recent event? Um, it only started in the 1500s um, when Henry VIII, he got jealous of a different, uh, the, the Holy Roman Emperor started calling himself uh, Majesty, and so he adopted that moniker. 
Before that, the word majesty was only to describe God. Uh, It's from here in the Bible. Majesty was a word that was used to describe the grandeur of God and His greatness and His splendor and His sovereign power and His authority and His dignity. And so majestic is a word that describes principally what God is like. Any majesty we see, well, it's all a, a reflection of God's majesty. I think it's important for us to appreciate this because um, the, the majesty of God, because it helps us to have the right perspective about Him. Um, we have the right perspective about God, and then we see what He is really like, and actually reminds us of His incredible power and authority that are contained within Him. Uh, C.S. Lewis captures this idea in his famous children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, of course, the four children in the book, uh, if, you, if you don't know the story, four children, they find themselves in this parallel world, uh, they go through a, a wardrobe and they find themselves there. Animals talk, and a wicked queen has taken over the land, um, but she's not the legitimate ruler of Narnia. Um, The legitimate ruler is Aslan. And uh, Mr. Beaver is talking to one of the kids, Susan, and he tells him about Aslan. Mr. Beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, "I I had thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Uh, if you were to come face to face with a lion, even, even a trained lion, um, you would have to respect its ability to tear you to pieces. And that power is part of its majesty and the very same reason why you would never underestimate a lion. And I think that idea is contained in verse 1 of our psalm when David refers to God as the Lord. Um, There's an appropriate respect for God when we use that special name for him, Yahweh, um, the Lord. Um, It's a name that the Israelites wouldn't even say out loud. They wouldn't vocalize it because they held it in such honor that they didn't want to blaspheme the name of God. And so they used another word. They said Adonai instead. They took the vowel sounds out of Yahweh and changed it and made Adonai. And so David says that this name of God, the Lord, um, is to be held out as majestic in all of the earth. It's to be honored and exalted and revered in all of the earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way too, didn't he? When he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, to be held up in honor. And this isn't just about words. This is about the way that we think about the Lord too and the place that we give him in our lives. Verse 1 asks, who is the Lord of your life? Because it's all too easy to forget the majesty of the Lord. I mean, it's all too easy to domesticate God and to put him in a cage like a lion. We can shrink God and we can keep him around for the day that we need him, a bit like a genie in a bottle. We can push him out of our daily consciousness until we remember that we need him again. And I, I don't know about you, but that happens to me, even in this job that I do sometimes. It's so easy to push God to the side and forget him, to, to, to remove him from your consciousness. Um, so we're going to come back to this idea of capturing the majesty of God at the end, because uh, I think it's the main take-home point of Psalm 8. Remember the majesty of God. But uh, let's move on through the psalm. Verse 3 and 4, I'm calling mindful. Uh, have you ever laid down at night and looked up at the stars? Um, I grew up in the city. I was a city kid, but um, uh, my, friend, uh, my friend's parents had a big sheep ranch, 
out in the countryside in, in New South Wales where we lived. And as teenagers, we would um, we'd drive an old truck out into the middle of a field and we would look up at the stars. And uh, out there in the country, there was just stars beyond stars. You couldn't even imagine it. I'm sure you've done this. On a, on a bright night, on a clear night, they were so bright that they actually cast shadows. Uh, when there's a full moon, it was like the streetlights were on. And as you lie there looking up at the stars, you get lost thinking about how many stars there are and, and how big the universe is and, and really how small we are as humans. Maybe the telescope has um, made us remember that again. Uh, David, who wrote this psalm, well, he grew up on a sheep ranch. And I wonder if uh, as a little boy uh, out tending the, shepherd, uh, the sheep in the fields, as a shepherd, maybe he looked up at the stars too and, uh, and wondered Because in verse 3 and 4, he describes that feeling of being very small in the universe. Look at verse 3. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, he says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? When David thinks about the expanse of creation and the creator God whose hands, whose very fingers, place the stars and the moon into place, He marvels because that same God cares for us. Um, I love the way verse 4 is translated here. Um, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Uh, Do you know about mindfulness? Uh, It's a thing that's become quite popular in the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, In a world that is full of distraction, uh, mindfulness is all about learning to keep your attention in the presence. Um, And so you do these kind of practices where you sit and you're attentive to your body and You're attentive to sounds, but you just don't let your attention go too far away. And you think about the things that are happening in your body and the thoughts that you're feeling. You don't judge yourself. You just sit there and you sit with them. Uh, Different from meditation. Meditation, you sometimes empty your mind. Well, this one, you actually listen to your mind. And uh, psychology uh, has shown that um, this is uh, great for stress reduction and it increases your concentration, gives you better working memory, it leads to happiness and a whole range of um, positive health benefits. Um, If you wanted to try mindfulness, you can actually try it for free. There's a couple of apps you can get on your phone, Calm, and uh, the other one is Headspace, and there's other ones too. Come back to the Bible, because I love the idea that God is mindful, right there in verse 4. So in the midst of sustaining the universe, there could be all kinds of distractions. And it says that God is mindful of us. God does not forget us. We are always in his mind. We're always under his watchful gaze. We're always held in the palm of his hand, it says in other places in the Bible. We're always known by God, and we're always loved by him. David asks, what is humankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And it's an important question, isn't it? Why does God care for us? Why does he pay attention to us? Why does someone so important think about tiny creatures like us on a tiny planet in the midst of the vast universe? Why is humanity so important to God? And the answer is there in verse 5 to 8, an answer that takes us back to the moment that God created humanity. Uh, and verses 5 to 8, I'm calling mate. Um, my mom's first job was as a librarian, um, and so we grew up with books, and uh, my mum used to say, books are our friends. And so when our kids were little, we, we wanted to instill a love of books in them too. And uh, we have lots of favorite children books that we read with the kids when they were little. Um, but then we also had lots and lots of children's Bibles. Um, we made it a part of our bedtime routine that every night we'd read a Bible story and pray with the kids. And uh, 
Praise God, actually, both of my kids are next door today. Um, they're teaching your kids uh, or your grandkids if they're there in the kids' programs. Um, God has used that in their lives. Um, but uh, one of our favorite Bibles was this one, the Big Picture Story Bible. Uh, and this one tells the story of the Bible um, in a way that helps you see the big picture, um, the big picture of the Bible. I mean, it's also full of big pictures. It's a clever title, right? Um, but this was our favorite book, and so I thought I'd just quickly read you the creation story, in case you've forgotten it. Um, I think it's beautifully done. Um, for the live stream, I can't really show you the pictures, and for people in church, um, it's copyrighted, but we're allowed to read. So let me read to you, and you can listen along and imagine what is in the pictures. And if you have great eyesight, well, you can look, and if you don't, just enjoy. It's called The Very Good Beginning. The Bible is God's story, and it begins with these big words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know how God created everything? Simply by speaking words. Imagine making the world with words, strong words and powerful words. Um, and in the pictures here, you can see the word land, and land happens, and creatures and creatures happen. With words, God created everything. He made the stars, he made the sun and the moon, he made the animals, the fish and the trees and the flowers too, everything. And then after all of these things, God created, do you know the answer? People. <laughs> there they are, Adam and Eve. If you have children, they're not wearing any clothes. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Can you see Adam and Eve? God put his people in the Garden of Eden. They were made in the image of God. They were to be the rulers of God's place. They look very happy, don't they? Adam and Eve were very special to God. And did you know that you are also very special to God? You are special because you are made in the image of God too. Isn't that great? Well, God creates everything, and the last thing that he creates is humans. And, and Genesis 1 tells us that God created humankind in his image. And part of that image-bearing is that he makes us rulers over the rest of creation. Look how David puts it in Psalm 8, looking from verse 4. Uh, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You, you've made them a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned them with glory and honor, and you made them rulers over the works of your hands, you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all, of the, all that swims the paths of the sea. Out of all of the creatures that, that God made, only humans are made in his image. Only humans are given the mandate to rule over creation. And I've said it before, this is not a license for humans to plunder, um, to plunder the earth and destroy it. Actually, God gives humanity this um, moral responsibility to steward and care for the natural resources that he's provided us with. But come back to verse 5 with me because we're reminded there of the great dignity that God has bestowed upon humanity. Look at verse 5. You've made them just a little lower than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and honor. This verse tells us that we are very special to God, to quote the big picture storybook Bible. God has endowed us with a royal status. Humans are the crowning glory of all creation. We're unequaled, except perhaps 
by angels, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment. So God crowns humans as rulers over the earth, ruling in God's image, um, as God's representatives on the earth. Uh, We're given the glory and honor that befits a queen or a king. It doesn't always feel like that, does it? Sometimes. We're so good at forgetting what God has made us to be. And we're good at acting in ways that are so much less than God has made us to be. And that's where this psalm takes another dimension in the New Testament, when we look at it through New Testament eyes, Um, thinking about the word Messiah. Um, This is a very schooly sermon today. Can you nod your head if you uh, learned grammar at school? Did they teach grammar? Um, Back in Australia, there was a teaching movement probably 30 years ago where they stopped teaching grammar in elementary school. Um, And there was an uproar, and they're still like that today. And so there's a generation or generations who've grown up and they don't know what a noun or a verb or an adjective is. I don't know how they get through life. Um, But you all nodded your head, so I'm going to give you a little grammar test to test your grammar. Um, I'm going to give you a word in the singular and you tell me what the plural is. Um, So for example, I say children, you say, sorry, I say child. (laughs) I say child, you say children. I say book, you say books. I say house, you say houses. I say mouse, you say mice. I say goose, you say geese. (laughs) I say person, you say people. I think that's right. I didn't write the answer in the sermon notes. Nobody can test me. Uh, That was fun. Now, why the grammar test? Um, Well, if you're reading your paper Bible, and actually I've left them in your uh, copy here, you'd see footnotes all through this passage that tell us that this passage can be translated with singulars or plurals. And uh, um, in our translation, it has them all as a plural, this collective idea of humankind and how God has created us to be the rulers over the world uh, and put everything under our feet, plural. But the original language could also be translated as singulars, and then it would refer to a single person. And that's how the New Testament reads this passage. The writer to the Hebrews, he quotes these verses and then he relates them to Jesus. Hebrews 2.9 says, um, it quotes these verses, and then it says, it was Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. And now he's crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that ultimately all things must be put under Jesus' feet so that he'll be the undisputed ruler over all of creation. And so Jesus becomes the perfect Adam. He becomes the only human to be able to rule without the corruption of sin. Uh, Jesus is humankind perfected. He's he's the one who uh, fulfills this psalm. He's unstained by sin, and he's the one who's crowned with glory and honor. And that's how Jesus would have read Psalm 8. That's how he would have made sense of his mission to leave his father's side where he'd been forever and ever. Jesus, as God's son, He left that place to come to earth and to be born into all of the frailty of human flesh. He became human to fix what is wrong with us from the inside. Uh, His humanity redeems us. Uh, He restores back what was broken at the fall. And he gives us back the glory and the honor that was ours at creation when when we allow him to change us and restore us like that. Psalm 8 reminds us that the God of all creation has remembered us. He's mindful of us despite our sin. And he's enacted this plan to remake us in his image, flawless and perfected through Christ's death on the cross. That is the big picture of the Bible. 
And that's why the psalm finishes like it started, praising the majesty of God and proclaiming his name in all of the earth and bringing him honor and, and telling the world about what he's done for us. It's what we do here at Yonville Church every week as we share the hope of Jesus Christ in the Napa Valley and beyond. The psalm finishes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Why don't you join me in prayer? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. We pray, Father, that today we would see your majesty and your glory, that we would honor you and hold up your name. And today here in church, we praise you for all of the things that you've done, most of all for saving us and redeeming us, forgiving our sins. And we pray, Father, we'd never forget who you are and that we would give all of our lives to you, that you would be the Lord, you'd be the Lord of our lives, the one who directs us, who makes our paths straight and leads us into the glory that you prepared for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.